you are listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews of experts from around the world. We highlight the latest and most interesting trends and bring you information in human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Zoe Savivu, and we are broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today, we will be speaking to Jules Han Am, PhD candidate at Uppsala University. So, Jules, would you like to introduce yourself first to our audience? Yeah, of course. Yes, so, my name is Jules. I am from Germany and I moved to Sweden six years ago and I did my bachelor's at Lund University in development studies and then I did my master's in gender studies and I've just graduated from that and I consider myself an academic of sorts and my master's thesis also surrounded topics such as um, trans, the trans community and internal disputes within the trans community and I also looked a lot at um, different models of um, like legal frameworks for accessing trans healthcare and kind of models between like um, pathologization um, and the medical model versus kind of more models of legal um, like legal frameworks of informed consent and self-determination and what is happening right now and that is where I can kind of bring in more of a context from Germany as well. Yeah, that sounds perfect because it's exactly what we want to talk about. Oh. Yeah, already from the 70s, Sweden adopted legislation allowing transgender people to change their gender mm-hmm. post-sex reassignment surgery. And that is also when being trans was declassified as an illness. But only in 2013, that process was allowing changing one's legal gender without prior gender framing procedures and uh, now this all sounds very medical (laughs) and very detached. Looking even more towards nowadays, in 2021 the Swedish National Board of Health and Welfare reduced the amount of clinics providing gender framing healthcare from seven clinics to three. And in 2022, gender-affirming healthcare for people under the age of 18 was banned in Sweden. Yes. So, looking at these facts right now and how it kind of has progressed in the Swedish context, and knowing that you are from Germany, (laughs) would you like to tell us more about how the situation is in Germany right now? And how has it been? Of course, yes. So, Germany still has, as of now, a very kind of old, I would say, archaic legal framework for trans people kind of accessing, changing their gender marker and their their first name. And this is a law that comes from the 1970s, back then from West Germany. And then when Germany was reunified in the 90s, that kind of like that framework was adopted for all of Germany as well. And I think it, like, to contextualize that it was conservative time in which that was proposed. And I think in, in a way back then it was revolutionary if we look at, you know, that was like the 70s, 80s, and it provided a first pathway for trans people actually being recognized in a way. However, it was still and still is today really tightly connected to the medicalization of one's identity. And I think it even rings in the name, like the, I think the name of that law framework kind of roughly translates into English in the Transsexual Act, 
So that's still what it's called. Obviously very, very old-fashioned terminology. And basically what the Transsexual Act is saying is that um, this is all not connected to accessing any kind of gender-affirming healthcare. So that would be a different path to take. This is only for your name change and your gender market change. In order to do that, you need to basically have a court hearing with a judge where in the final end this judge that you've never met before is basically giving you a verdict on whether you are really trans you are really a woman or a man and it's also an important thing it's really really binary right you can only change from one to the other and you do kind of start this process by reaching out to two different therapists or psychologists and you need to get like two different individual assessments from them and so I have not done that process myself, but from what's sort of out there and you read about um, and lots of articles that have been discussing this, it's basically, it's a 101 intrusive questions to never ask a trans person. Like they really go into the nitty gritty, figuring you out exactly. And it's just these people coming also from psychology that as a discipline doesn't have the best reputation for not pathologizing one's identity, mm -hmm, right? Exactly. Um, and it's basically, it's, it's very much connected to the medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria and how are you performing that? How are you able to translate that into words as well? I've always felt ever since I was five years old that I'm quote-unquote born in the wrong body. It's very much connected to that kind of narrative. So yeah, you need to have these two assessments and they are also a little bit make or break because it depends on is that psychologist going to believe you, right, or not. And it's not that you know what's happening in that. I think that process in itself can be incredibly jarring to a lot of people. Um, and then with that, you go into the kind of court process, right, and it takes like months and months and months. And you also need to pay for it yourself up to 1,000, 2,000 euros because you need to pay the, um, the psychologist individually yourself and then of course you need to pay the the costs of the court procedure and at the very end if you're lucky you know um this judge is going to be like yeah okay you're really the person that you are and then you have that changed right so right now for obvious reasons i do hope <laughs> there's a lot of trans people and increasingly so that are kind of just they don't want to do that um, don't want to do that route anymore um but it's also really difficult because even if you refuse to kind of abide by these rules and regulations and really performing your, your gender and your identity according to these like scripts of the medical model of transness, which it basically is, it's I am born in the wrong body, I don't like this, I've, I'm hyper-masculine, hyper-feminine, right? But if, if you do that, if you refuse all of that, yes, but like you're losing so much time in your life because you're still not going to be able to get that change on your legal documents and this is really difficult of course in any kind of situation so right now there has been a big push to change that for a long time um, and right now in the parliament there's a new proposal for a legal change framework that's being discussed and i think that name roughly kind of translates to the self-determination act mm -hmm. so we already see like a discursive shift in that as well how is that uh, in uh, german it's a selbstbestimmungsgesetz Mm -hmm. So Selbstbestimmung would be self-determination. Yeah. And we hope that it's going to pass. It's not quite sure yet. Probably it will be. Um, and that will really change the kind of legal landscape for German trans people, for sure. Because there, they're basically what they're trying to do is take out all of the pathologizing, medicalizing stuff. <laughs> and now then what you could do is just basically go to your municipal agency 
Um, it's supposed to be a very simple procedure. You go there, you don't need any prior assessments anymore, no psychology whatsoever. Um, and you just go there, you kind of fill out a bit of paperwork and you say, this is my new name and this is my gender marker. And now it will also be possible to have a sort of third non-binary option. I think what's going to be possible is to change it from, you know, the one binary option to the other binary option to have like a, a non-binary option or to have a, the option of no gender marker whatsoever in your passport as well um, and it's supposed to not take such a long time and also obviously there's no court procedure it's not such a uh, costly anymore so that's what we're really hoping for is i think a big moment right now that we're in where like we do kind of globally in a way see a lot more pushes for self-determination and models of informed consent and not so much medicalization anymore while at the same time the kind of media debate that that spurs as well is really there's trans visibility double-edged sword situation going mm, on exactly. where this visibility leads to kind of backlash as well so i think right now from what I observe in the German media landscape, it's it's not a good place to be in. It's not fun to exist as a trans person because there's a lot of very transmisogynistic scapegoating campaigns that are being driven yeah. by more mainstream media as well. It's a lot of, um, it's phrased in this cloak of concern, the concern for women's safety, women's spaces, and what would happen if we open up these categories. Right. So I think this really connects to fundamental anxieties that trans people destabilize all these seemingly naturalized notions of the body and the binary whereas really what we're trying to do is just to live and to exist being trans is politicized right so 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 much exactly (laughs) and that really reflects also the situation in the united states right now absolutely because uh, there has been almost around 400 pieces of legislation mm-hmm. that has passed Massive. only in 2023 only in 2023 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even done um, with that year yet <laughs> no exactly we're not even halfway mm-hmm. and that concerns left firming healthcare and criminalization of existing in public yeah you, know, you mentioned medicalization and pathologizing of trans identity Mm-hmm. Would you like to explain to our audience what do you mean by that? Yes, of course. I could do a little historical background to this, where it comes from and why it's apparently still so relevant today as well. The kind of crooks of all these legal frameworks, like the German law that is still installed, is that, of course, it provides a way of being legitimized in your identity but it always comes with a catch and it does kind of draw back to research on endocrinology also like 100 120 years ago and sexology as a discipline like that was really the birth of that and then in the 30s 40s 50s there was a lot of research being done on that a lot of it came out of germany actually and then also in the us the first gender clinics that were actually established and they worked with that kind of framework of this is still sort of a disease. There is pathology written into that. And we are giving you hormones in order to treat it. We cannot cure you any other way. Um, you might still be delusional, but you are suffering so much that hormones are the way to do it. And for that, they obviously needed to have a diagnosis. Right? And this is where they kind of put like gender dysphoria on top of that or even back then transsexualism right which we don't use now anymore in most contexts but 
it still very much echoes that kind of notion. And that's also why there is, there is something really problematic written into that. The topic of transitioning is often connected to being trans, obviously, and it's a really big part of trans experiences. Um, and it gets really sensationalized. I think fundamentally what should be clear is that a trans person is also trans if they don't medically transition, but it will be really important for everyone that wants to medically transition to have access to these kind of services, right? But then a lot of the time still, I know at least in a lot of European frameworks, you do need to have that diagnosis of gender dysphoria in order to receive medical transition technologies, at least publicly funded. Um, so there's still the medical model is still really central in that. And I think that's just something that every trans person has to negotiate to some extent. Even if you don't want to medically transition, you will still encounter this a lot. And I think it provides you access to things, but it's still dependent on performing according to a script. Because whenever we place a diagnosis on things, you know, there's like certain parameters. There's like so much complexity that just gets cut down. And that's where we get things like the wrong body narrative. Exactly. And everyone just like you have the quote unquote the trans experience. But in reality, of course, we're all doing our gender differently and we're doing our trans identity differently. And that's exactly. really beautiful. But within the medical model, there's no space for that. And I think that's when it becomes really oppressive to a lot of people, even the people that maybe can perform this, even maybe the more binary people, that may be kind of fine, but I think it often also leaves out like a more non-binary conceptualization of transness because it's like, oh, but where do I fall into this? Who am I, you know, if exactly. I'm not understood as either like a woman or a man? Mm -hmm. So I think there's still a lot of deconstruction that, that we need to do. And I, I do think that the medical model is not going to save us. It still echoes from the past very, very much. And at the end of the day, I also do believe that no one else can tell you whether you're trans other than yourself. That is just a fundamental philosophy that I have in life, that no one else gets to decide about my own embodied knowing, and I don't get to decide that about anyone else. A, a psychologist, a doctor can be as professionally trained as they can be, but still they won't know, even if it's a fellow trans person, they cannot fundamentally know. So like, I think the notion that a diagnosis is like the one and all legitimacy put on you is also, I think, problematic if you really do want to think it further, you know? But right now, if you're a trans person and you just need to pragmatically move around the world, of course you just need that diagnosis, just get the diagnosis, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, fine, I take the box. There's still the idea that I am somehow sick, right? Whereas yes. That is so far removed from the actual lived experience mm -hmm. of trans people overall, mm -hmm. you know. It really delegitimizes the whole self-actualization process mm -hmm. that we are all going through. Yeah. Basically, where the conversation is taking us right now is looking at the history of the binary itself. Mm -hmm. We realize that is a concept and a structure that has been very much um, connected to whiteness very much connected to colonialism and uh, very much connected to capitalism. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. We can see in indigenous communities in various parts of the world in different societies around many many years that the whole approach of the binary is non-existent mm -hmm. and we see for example two-spirited people or societies not structuring their 
whole like the social structure. functioning yeah they're of. social functioning yeah. around this category of being a man or a woman mm -hmm. and kind of allocating responsibility social responsibilities on that binary mm -hmm. and the structure is completely different and it's more circular and it's more inclusive in a sense <laughs> there's been a lot of research done upon to kind of dig into the histories and the structures that the step of communities and societies have throughout mm -hmm. uh, the years and uh, it's quite difficult obviously due to colonization because a lot of the histories and has been wiped out yeah. a lot of the people have been wiped out yeah. a lot of the um, land has exactly. been wiped out so we don't access other knowledge that is not a byproduct of colonization not entirely but mm -hmm. it's not very easily accessible yeah. you could say but it exists and there are a lot of examples that provide this different approach to the default binary that we have in our mm -hmm. Western societies and liberal democracies nowadays. Yeah. And maybe if I can interject there as well, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the time, like the discourse around transness and transness as we conceptualize it is a really, really Western kind of project as well, because it, it stems from this medical realm of science that was also incredibly white, really infused with racism at the time, and still is in a lot of contexts. Um, so I think there's a, there's a shortcoming also in this anglophone bias, trans a lot of the time, um, and transgender embodiment and experiences, and even a lot of the research that is being done that is really great, but it's still really Western, Eurocentric, because at, at the core it always kind of falls back onto that medical model that was the birth of how we even get to have a name for that nowadays. Mm -hmm. Whereas there were many cultures and many countries and different time periods where people have been doing this already. It's just like we don't even often understand it as transness from our Western lens. And it, it just gets really hard to translate that sometimes, these theories and concepts that come from, from different parts of the world that are just always subaltern global inequality systems that are still really, really present. Exactly. Um, so I think there's been more research on like also critiquing the category of trans in like its white Western notion. And I think that's also really, really important to bear in mind um, that there's, I think, an epistemic limitation Absolutely. to the concept. Absolutely. And you can see that echoes so much in, for example, the procedures that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that are necessary in Germany. Yeah. Because if you think about it from a research design point of view, there are so many biases and ethical considerations <laughs> or limitations into having one or two psychologists mm -hmm. uh, doing an assessment of one person and then yeah. one judge making a decision on mm -hmm. uh, one's identity Yes. over a, a checklist. So. <laughs> it sounds wrong. It sounds very old-fashioned, old white men came up with that. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about how legislation has been dangerous, trans people and trans rights. Mm -hmm. But dangerous, it seems very, it's somehow the discourse is very detached mm -hmm. from reality because of this medicalization. Yeah. So how dangerous is dangerous? Mm -hmm. So what do we, what do we actually mean by that? 
Well, yeah, I think fundamentally what we see with all these pushes for more equal rights frameworks and rights that we've been fighting for and have fought for in the last years, gay marriage, for instance, reproductive rights, fundamentally all of these rights can be taken away from us at any given time. These are not set in stone, these are not safe. This is not a time where we should sit down and we can drink a cup of you know, tea and it, it's done. Yeah. I think that's very much what we're seeing right now. There's a lot of different struggles happening at the same time. So it is really, there's danger kind of written into that on a bigger level, of course. And I think also there's there's a danger in gatekeeping access to, to gender affirming care a lot and in medicalizing it or maybe re-medicalizing it at a future time because what we see in the US right now is that it, it seemed impossible that these kind of rights could be taken away for such a long time but it's actively happening right and it's not just a theoretical kind of pondering but this is like real lives of real people that are being destroyed right if you don't get access to gender-affirming healthcare, that is that is not just a joke right and and we do see this also in the Swedish case again what you said in the kind of introduction that there's no gender-affirming healthcare offered to minors anymore in that framework, that is just really dangerous, I think. Um, not receiving support that you do really, really clearly need, and that could help you so much. And it, it connects again to fears around the child very much. The child is imagined as the future of the nation, and that sense it triggers all these anxieties very, very quickly. We need to protect children, of course, right? But the kids that we actually need to protect be taking away the thing that could protect them from harm. It's a very transphobic kind of line of argumentation because fundamentally these people are not being believed and they're not being taken seriously in their in their identity and in their first person authority, um, which again also connects to the medical model that there's always someone else that has an assessment over who you are and whether you truly are who you say you are. And especially kids, we tend to not believe them because they're so young, right? Um, but these kids will grow up. They will also become adults if we let them to become adults, right? But if we take their rights away, if we take their access away, that's not going to happen. So there's real life danger in that. So I think we need to keep being alert very, very much, find ways to challenge transphobic arguments, deconstruct scapegoating in the media very much. I think these media debates can be incredibly uh, horrifying and tiring for any kind of trans person and queer person in general. And I think we also need to build better solidarity among the queer community because what we also see in the US is that gay marriage is now being discussed again. This is like a trickling event. It's abortion, it's gay marriage, it's trans rights. These are all connected. It's also women's rights, even cis women's rights at the end of the day. The right wing will not save us. No. <laughs> it is a project that works actively to eradicate certain people's lives and certain identities that are not in line with a very normative construction of the ideal family. Family, right? the that nuclear family. Wide. Exactly. So it's linked to capitalism as well, quite a lot. And I think we need to challenge all of these frameworks. We will very much need to focus on not leave sensationalization yes. or the moral panics yeah leave them out especially when we see them in the media discourses because as you said when we talk about trans rights we talk about children's rights as well mm -hmm. yeah. and children are supposed to be believed mm 
mm-hmm. because they're people and they have rights and authorities and they have the right to self-actualization. They are going to grow up and become adults. Maybe